to the Vicor Powering Innovation Podcast, where we discuss world-changing innovations. I'm Steve Germino, and I'm here with my co-host, Joe Ducey. Our guest today is Dr. Will Bateman, CEO from CCell. CCell's mission is to combat coastal erosion by working with nature to restore sustainable balance to coastal environments and bring lasting protection to communities around the world. You know, CCell might be one of the most innovative concepts that I have ever heard of. They essentially fabricate coral reefs faster than nature can produce it, and they do it in an environmentally safe manner. More importantly, they are doing this to protect coastal communities that are suffering from aggressive shoreline erosion. CCell unites hardcore science with cutting edge technology in an effort to meet genuine human need. Can you tell them a huge fan, Joe? Well, you know, who doesn't love a good Finding Nemo story? I know I certainly do. But like you, I'm blown away by the innovative technology behind the building of entire marine ecosystems measured in years as compared to decades. The impressive thing about this technology is it harnesses the power of the ocean to regenerate coral. So the electricity generated by renewable energy sources is carefully and precisely delivered to steel structures that acts as the skeleton for the coral reef. You know, this low-level electrical charge stimulates and accelerates rock formation that is a perfect foundation for marine life to thrive. It's important to protect, preserve, and grow new coral reefs because they are a vital link in the overall health of the world's oceans. It's a great point. It's a great description of what they do. It's pretty impressive. And the best thing is now they're taking it to the next step if they haven't done enough already. Now they're adding more sensors underwater to gather large amounts of data that help them monitor the progress and quantitatively establish how quickly the marine life is returning to its habitat. Yeah, like so many devices today, this digital reef, which we can call it, has Wi-Fi connectivity, meaning we can learn from it by collecting all sorts of data 24-7 real-time from anywhere in the world on things like water temperature, reef growth rates, energy production, marine species, and a whole host of other data points. But using AI, we will be able to create virtual ecosystems that will enable more accurate modeling and simulations of marine environments we could only guess at before. With this new information, we can create better and more robust marine habitats for the future. Yeah, really amazing stuff. With that, let's jump into the conversation with Robert and Will as they kind of peel back the onion and um, tell us a little bit more about the latest and greatest that C-Cell has going on. Hi, this is Robert Gendron here from Vicor. And today we are joined by CEO Will Bateman from the company C-Cell. Will, welcome and thank you for joining me today. Hi, Robert. Thank you for inviting me to your program. Well, I'm aware of your company from a power design that we worked with your team on. I know the design fit into a larger system harvesting energy from sea waves, but your company is much more than renewable energy you know, from sea waves. Can you explain? If I go way back, we started out in developing a device to extract energy from ocean waves. And in looking at the opportunity in the market for that technology, we looked at a range of different systems from salination or powering fish farms. But what we settled in was using power to grow reefs. So there's uh, some existing technology that we picked up on that was using electrolysis to restore coral reefs. And we saw that as an opportunity to take that and actually commercialize it or industrialize it in a bigger way and then develop these artificial reefs to provide coastal protection. So that's how they came together. And 
that's been the focus of our work over the last two years is developing the reef technology. And as we move forward, we'll then bring together the wave energy with the reef technology. And also, to be honest, we've become quite agnostic in terms of the renewable energy source. So we, if it's more appropriate, we'll use solar panels or even a wind turbine perhaps in the future. And you call your reef or your artificial reef a digital reef, is that correct? That's right. So it's more of a sort of an internal name that we give to it. The amount of technology that we're bringing into this, it has got to the stage where one could argue almost any company is driven by technology. But what we're doing with coastal protection is we're really bringing it into the modern age. So most coastal protection techniques haven't really changed since the Romans. People use sandbags. Okay, they use rather large sandbags now, but they'll use those to shore up a coastline or they throw rock in the ocean and or they come up with some funky concrete structures that they throw in the ocean. But it's either very heavy engineering or the softer solutions such as the sandbags are being used. What we're bringing into this is using electronics, using power electronics to encourage minerals unnaturally found in the sea to form around the structure, which is you know one part of the system. But in doing that, we suddenly change the environment in which we're operating in the sense that we have for the first time an opportunity to measure and sense what's going on in the ocean environment over a huge or a very long distance or huge amount of coastline because we have a structure we have power to it we are using digital electronics to control how we distribute that power and it's only a very small step from there to say well okay let's add on sensors let's listen to what the reef sounds like let's listen to what the fish sound like let's put cameras in there we can actually record what they're doing we can use ai to identify those fish and then report back on the numbers of different species we can put in you know obviously a lot of other things around water temperatures or the turbidity of the water or whatever okay to the point that we're working with some sort of marine um, biologists and we're looking at how we can develop sensors to detect when corals are spawning so all of these sort of early warning things could be useful for other activities that are ongoing within the ocean so for example, because coral spawning is such an important event, it may be that you want to discourage, I don't know, people using their motorboats or in the area, or maybe there are other sounds or noises that may impact how those corals um, to spawn and those them spread. So we're going to develop all of these sensors to allow us to collect that information. And as I said, we've got these reefs they're powered they've got the capability of measuring stuff so we don't know quite how we're going to use it all but we can use that as a base to huge amount of learning about our marine environment how is climate change affecting our shores climate change has been a progressive thing over the last sort of 30 40 years but it's causing the power within the waves to progressively increase and there's a fantastic paper that came out a few years ago that showed that the average increase in annual wave energy was 0.41% per year. Now, although that doesn't sound like a lot, if you accumulate that up over a number of years, that's actually creating a huge increase. And those waves, as they get bigger, and obviously on top of that, we're seeing an increased frequency of hurricanes and large storms, that's changing the natural balance on our coastlines. So those more aggressive waves are coming in, they're actually breaking up the shoreline and taking that material away. And we haven't unfortunately got a long enough period between storms for the beaches to just naturally recover as they would otherwise do. 
I understand it's a smart reef, as you noted, but also can you explain how I saw a comment that you can actually grow a reef faster than, let's say, more the conventional way of dumping objects into the ocean and such. How does that work? So the conventional sort of hard solutions of bringing in concrete or rock, they carve a large chunk of rock out of a mountain somewhere. You need to haul that down to the coastline and, and drop it in. Now, from a time span, it just takes a lot of time to dig something out. You may often have to build a, a pier or a, a small harbor, depending on where you're deploying, in order to actually get that rock or those concrete units out into the sea. They'll often get loaded onto a large barge and dropped in. What we're doing is actually coming in with a very lightweight structure that can be picked up by hand. We actually specifically, as part of one of the design requirements, is our reef units should never weigh more than 70 kilos. So that means that two people, without being he-men, can actually pick up one of these units and maneuver them around, particularly in the water, to a location. The other advantage that gives us is it means that we can operate in environments where, particularly in tourist areas where there's a lot of tourism going on, we can operate alongside those tourists. In fact, the tourists can get involved in actually helping us to install the reef because there's nothing heavy about what we're doing. Now, in terms of actually the installation and the speed at which we grow, Getting the structure into the water, we can do faster almost than anybody else at this point. The fastest alternative at the moment are sandbags, known as geotubes. And they are effectively like large sausages. You lay these out on the seabed and you pump sand into them. And they can install, say, 100 meters in a couple of days. We can compete with that in terms of getting our reef out. Where we're slower, on the other hand, is that we then grow rock around that steel structure. So we're using a process called electrolysis. And the analogy I use, which is a little bit like what happens in your kettle. So if you live in an area where you've got an awful lot of lime or calcium in the water, when you boil your kettle, those minerals settle out due to the hot water. And that's what forms the lime scale you see around the edge of your kettle. Now, interestingly, minerals like calcium carbonate, they are less soluble in hot water than they are in cold water, which is the exact opposite of, say, sugar which is, as we all know, if you put hot sugar into a hot cup of coffee, it um, dissolves more easily. Now, what we're doing on our structure is, is something similar to that, but we're not changing the temperature. What we're doing is we're changing the pH of the water around the reef. And that has the same effect. It causes minerals that are in abundance within the water to crystallize around our structure to form the bulk of the structure. So at the moment, that would take us around about sort of nine months to say 18 months of rock growth to complete our structure which on the one hand is significantly slower than, say, using concrete rock units, because you make a concrete unit, you can go out and drop it in the water. But if you look at the lead time around all of the operations that go into putting something like, uh, you know, these rock or concrete units in the water, um, including the time it takes for them to transport them to the site, to actually manufacture those units or quarry them out of the hill, etc., it actually becomes much more comparable and the other big advantage to us is ecologically, we're not, we're not adding anything alien to the water. We're using the minerals that are naturally there. So one of the big challenges, and rightfully so, of any project you do in the ocean is you have to get environmental permits. You have to get approval from the local governments or the state to do the project. And the first thing they'll do is ask for an environmental impacts assessment. They want to know what new things are you adding into the water or into that environment and what the knock-on impacts of those new minerals or substance or materials. And if you're using things like geotubes, they're made of plastics, which we all know are bad. If you're using concrete, those can change the pH of the water. They can add an awful lot of adverse effects. Again, those are bad. What we're doing is 
we're literally using the minerals that are in the water already. So it makes the painting environmental permits an awful lot easier. And what deployments do you have currently of your reefs? So we currently have deployed four main systems in Mexico. So the largest of which is uh, in Telchac, which is 120 meters long. Before that, we had a, a small pilot installed in Cancun. And since our installation in Telchac, we've installed two more pilots with hotels in Cancun. And Will, you mentioned the specific effort here, uh, these artificial reefs you've been doing now for two years. What have been some of the largest challenge you've had to overcome in developing these reefs? I guess it's probably like most companies. The things that you think are going to be a challenge actually aren't. And the things that you don't think about become the challenge, right? The things that you are most scared about, you say, okay, those are a big risk. You set aside time to investigate those and to develop solutions around that. So if I think back two years ago, the, the biggest single challenge was how are we actually going to install these reefs in the ocean? How are we going to anchor them down so that if a hurricane or a large storm hits them, they're not going to get lifted up and thrown back on the shore? So we put a huge amount of effort into looking at how to do anchoring. We spoke to a lot of people who worked in the marine environment about anchoring, about how to develop sand anchors, etc. And what really scared us at that time was the, the amount of time people were saying it was going to take. So to install a single sand anchor, for example, was going to take something like anywhere between 40 minutes and two hours to put an, a single anchor in. Now, we need four of those for every single one of our reef units. So it was suddenly, from a time perspective, this wasn't going to take us you know, a couple of days to install 100 meters. It's going to take us possibly a couple of months to install that 100 meters, which is just impractical. And actually through sort of successive series of sort of trials and tests and developments from our side, we've now can install a slightly different design of anchor, but we can get those installed within about five minutes. So that's probably been our biggest single improve, fundamental improvement. But then you've had the unintended things that you didn't think about. So one of the challenges we've had is actually the communications to these reefs. We have our electronics, we're building these digital reefs. They are connected into the internet and Wi-Fi is very commonly available within our clients' homes or within the hotels we're working with. But what you don't appreciate is that technology moves on. Hotels are updating their IT equipment. They're updating their internet. And as we found, for example, just a couple of weeks ago, one of our projects had been working perfectly well, suddenly goes offline. And that's because the hotel had suddenly decided to update their or change their Wi-Fi system. And then it's suddenly incompatible with what we're doing. So we've had lots of little learning points from there where we've sort of said, well, okay, well, we're no longer going to use the hotel Wi-Fi. What we'll do is we'll just always install our own 3G system and plug into the local mobile communication system. And I could give you a hundred different examples of lots of little incremental things that are individually, they may seem quite small and insignificant, but collectively they are the difference between whether the project works or not. And well, what's next for C-Cell? If you look at, let's say a few years from now, what will C-Cell be doing? The biggest change is, as I mentioned, this, you've got this digital reef concept and the big change for us over the next two years is moving the digital reef into what we're going to be calling the living reef. The big change for us in that journey is that our reefs are already living. You know, we've put them out there. What we're finding is all sorts of calcareous organisms are attaching to the structure and they're actually helping to grow the structure. So 
our initial estimates on how long it would take to grow the sufficient amount of rock around our structure to cause the wave attenuation that we want. I mean, they're all plummeting down because what we're finding is actually the marine life, mollusks or even oysters or stuff, or and, and corals for that matter, when they attach to the structure, they're growing at much faster rates than the rock that we're forming. And what we need to do is encourage that. So what we're embarking on, and it all comes together with, you know, having this backbone structure and the sensing and the electronics that we're already doing. But it's really about trying to understand more about the marine ecosystem. So what is it about the reef that the fish particularly like? So we've seen with all of our reefs, you know, a huge increase in the number of fish that come in. Those fish are fantastic. But what is it, you know, can we do more? We've been talking for a while about getting corals onto the structure. So we've just now signed an agreement within a pesca in Mexico. We're putting together a huge hatchery with them and we're going to be growing a lot of corals and taking those out onto the structure. Working with them, also going to be looking at how those corals grow. Does the electrolysis help them grow both when they're within the hatchery, but also when we plant them out onto the reef? Other work we're going to be doing is with Cornell University. We're forming a partnership with them to look at the sounds that the reefs make. They've done some really interesting work whereby they have shown that if you record the sounds made from a healthy reef and play it back in an area where the reef is dead or is just a barren area, fish are actually attracted in because they are attracted towards the sound that a healthy reef makes. So we're interested in using that sort of acoustic signature of a real reef and saying, okay, what is it about our own structures that we can modify so that it gives it that same sort of sound? And this is not about trying to fool the fish or attract things to an area where we don't necessarily want them. What it's about is us trying to create something that's as in tune and as natural as it can possibly be. Another part of that work is also about branching off into looking at seagrass. And again, this is not an area that we have any particular expertise in, but there's a, a lot of science, science and there's a lot of scientists around who, who have worked with and understand seagrass. And we want to work with these groups to look at how we can embed seagrass sea into the solution. And the reason seagrass is so crucially important, I mean, it's almost the sort of the wonder plant in the ocean. Arguably, corals get an awful lot of, they're always in the headlines, and, and, and we, we talk a lot about corals, and corals are you know immensely important. For the listeners, if you don't realize, 25% of all marine life was either born in or lives in reefs of some form. So without them, and the fact that 50% of all have been lost, the impact on our food chain is immense. It'll touch every single person on the planet in some way or another if we don't manage or look after our coral reefs but seagrass alongside them are also really important because seagrass are actually within the sea are actually incredibly effective at removing co2 from the atmosphere they go alongside sort of mangroves as being two of the top plants for removing co2 i don't know if they're exactly the top two but they are incredibly important but seagrass have also had really good effects in terms of cleaning up the water so they, they've looked at areas where their, their corals are dying and noticed other areas where the corals have not died and they've shown that where they haven't died is actually because they've got these beds of seagrass nearby and they have removed things like microplastics from the water they have removed pollutants from the water that would otherwise adversely affect the corals and then you loop that all the way back to, you know, what I mentioned earlier about the fish, you know, like all of us, they poop, that settles down on the seafloor. So that provides nutrients for the seagrass. The seagrass is also an enhanced habitat for the fish life. 
they help the corals the corals help provide us to grow our reef that provides protection for the coastline and so on and so on so it's a complete cycle so when what we've come in with the digital reef is just that backbone it's just the first part of the puzzle what we now need to do is complete the rest of the cycle okay so we've been talking to will bateman ceo of Cell, a company working to preserve our coastlines and our marine life i would encourage you to check out Cell and their digital or more importantly their living reef technology thank you will for your time Thank you. Thank you, Robert. So I've never been to the Yucatan, but I understand it has some tremendous beaches. What a shame it is to see those beaches ravaged by such tides and brutal waves. I never realized that the coral reefs under the water lent so much protection to the shoreline. But I think today they're at least installing over 100 meters of that hidden wire mesh where a coral can grow, right? Yeah, that's what I understand. But to your previous point, I've been to Cancun on vacation and the beaches are spectacular, but they can be unforgiving. The raw power of the ocean is definitely immeasurable. Without coral reefs to help absorb and deflect the unrelenting waves, the ocean could and ultimately will reclaim the shoreline. You know, think of the ocean waves as backhoes nibbling away at the beach. And with each bucketful of sand removed means less land for us to live on. With more than 3 billion people living near or next to a coastline, this could have devastating consequences globally. Yeah, and the renewable energy angle, I think, is particularly interesting. It's somewhat obvious, but it's still brilliant the way they've executed it. They actually can capitalize on solar or ocean power, and I believe they've adapted their own paddle for ocean wave energy. But we know there is a drawback to renewable energy, right? You're kind of at the whims of Mother Nature, which is very unpredictable. So technically speaking, you're getting a, a wide input range of energy, which requires a lot of effort to efficiently convert to usable power. Yeah, that's where C-Cell has thought of everything. We all know, as you pointed out, how fickle Mother Nature can be with weather. C-Cell can generate electricity using multiple renewable energy sources, including the waves, wind, and solar. This way, if one isn't working, the others can help carry the load. The smart reef system can regulate the amount of electricity distributed based on the amount generated from the source. Now, that is one fishtail that may just have a happy ending. Yep. And we all love happy endings, Joe. So with that said, great show. And that's all we have time for today. So until next time, I'm Steve Germino with my co-host, Joe Ducey. Thanks for tuning in to the Vicor Powering Innovation Podcast. 